Welcome back. I am here with Grant Cameron. Grant, welcome. Sean, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate your interest in what I'm doing. Yeah, and I think you are one of the world's leading authorities on the topic we're going to talk about today. So I am very grateful that you've decided to appear on the podcast. So let's talk about what the government knows, how long they've known it, starting from the beginning, in your best opinion. Now, a lot of this stuff is going to be probabilistic because we can never surely know what's what's really going on. But the highest probability estimate, in your opinion, and based on your scholarship, when did this all start? When did the government really know that something was going on? Okay, I guess we're going back to... I'm not sure if Jacques Vallée is right. Jacques Vallée talks about this Trinity case. I'm not too sure about the Trinity case. I know that in 46, they had the cases in Europe with the rockets that apparently they had sent some people there to figure out what was going on. There's the story of Roosevelt with the 42 overflight where they were shooting at this object. But when I recovered the correspondence from the Roosevelt Library, it appeared that the UFO subject had not been brought up. Now, maybe indirectly, but I'd, I don't think it was just basically the president asking who gets to call the air alarm, who who called that air alarm in there? Is it the head of the army or who, whoever it was? But I think the 47, <clears throat> when we get into the crash, then for sure we know the Roswell incident, mm-hmm. that the government was onto something. They knew what was going on. And if you go back to some of the statements that Truman has made, there was actually a video made where he was asked, did you ever discuss flying saucers with the military? And he said, yeah, we discussed it almost every time we met, which indicated that he was sort of on top of this thing. And based upon the work that a lot of people have done during the crash Roswell time, it appeared that some of his generals were involved. Some of the schedules indicated that the president was being brought up to speed. Now, over the years, I've sort of changed my opinion as to what does the president know? There's always this dispute. Does the president know? Is the president briefed? And I've gone back between he's been briefed and he's not been briefed. And I can go to two people that I know. For example, Dr. Kit Green. There was a guy whose name is escaping. He was paid to do an interview. He interviewed Ron Pandolfi and he interviewed Kit Green. And in there, Kit Green talks about talking to four presidents about UFOs. And apparently they're not briefed in and I've talked to him about UFOs. And so that was always the idea that there was a was called a weird desk. So I believe that the weird desk started back in about 1954 with a guy by the name of Art Lundahl. So Art mm-hmm. Lundahl was the head of the National Photographic Interpretation Center. He's the guy that came up with the idea of digitalizing photographs where you could use computers to take photographs from space and he was a top 30 on, on photographs. He did all the U-2, all the SR-71, all the spy satellite photographs. And they were all brought to the National Photographic Interpretation Center, which he started. He started with the Navy. And then he did the, the Robertson panel. If you remember, the CIA did a panel in the 1950s. That was at the very end of the Truman administration. But it, the document appears in the Eisenhower administration because it goes from one administration to another. And in there, he does the analysis on the photographs that were used and the videos in the Robertson panel report. And then he's hired by the CIA to set up this lab and he sets up this lab. So he talked about briefing U.S. presidents on UFOs. So he would have been briefing Eisenhower, maybe Kennedy. I think I differed than most people. Most people think that Kennedy had all this knowledge. And I think Kennedy may have been the guy who knew the least of anybody in terms of what was going on. So Kennedy and then Johnson. And then it turns over in 1969, Dr. Kit Green comes on board. He's working with the remote viewing program. He's the control officer for the remote viewing program. And he's brought on to run what they call the weird desk. So Lundahl ran it. And I actually recovered a bunch of files from various places, correspondence with Arthur Lundahl. And he was talking to, for example, James McDonald, who was the big researcher in the 1960s at the University of Arizona. And he was corresponding with Art Lundahl. And I could tell by the correspondence there that it was the idea that Lundahl was very interested in the subject, but he really didn't have that much knowledge unless he just wasn't talking to James McDonald about it. But he said very openly that he was very interested in the subject. Said, when we get to Washington, we'll discuss our favorite subject. 
And so Kid Green comes on, he's running the remote viewing program for the CIA, he's the control officer, and he takes on the weird desk, which is called the weird desk, where they have all the paranormal and the UFO stuff. Now, Kit Green said that when he was running the desk, nobody seemed to like it being called the desk. They didn't ever want to be attached to that. But he said he never spent more than 10% of his time working on UFOs and stuff like that. But it was sort of a, a situation where they're allowed to talk about UFOs to public people. So Ron Pendolfi is the latest guy. So they're able to talk to people about UFOs. And the key to that is that the CIA is not supposed to be involved in UFOs. They don't know of UFOs. They've never been involved. So you can't really have a CIA guy saying we're giving briefings to the president of the United States. So when Kit Green said he talked to the president, four different presidents or three different presidents, but they really didn't have any clearances. And Ron Pendolfi talked about different presidents. For example, the last time, just when Trump was coming in, he there was a Facebook message that went out from a guy by the name of Robert Collins, who was the Condor in the Avery. If you know the whole story about the Avery, all the birds, these high-level military intelligence people who all got these bird names from Bill Moore, and they all sort of were interacting with each other, almost like an invisible college. So mm-hmm. Kit Green was the Blue Jay, and he was dealing with all this kind of material and he could talk openly to various people but he really wasn't working for the cia so kit green takes over and then in 1983 ron pendolfi comes on board and he's with ronald reagan and when trump comes in the the condor robert collins writes this message and he said talking about trump and then ron says i'll wait until he's in office He's against disinformation and pro-disclosure. And so I immediately posted this message, put it out there. And that was the idea that Ron was going to deal with the president. And then I heard that Ron's wife was dealing with the president. And it's this whole idea that there's somebody who gives the president material. Now, for me, from one year to another, I sort of changed. But what I think happens is that the president has a lot of high officials that they basically will tell you, you don't need to know about this, back off. You don't have a clearance for this. And you've got plausible deniability. So everybody wants to play the role where they really don't know what's going on. They sort of know something's going on. And I think they may play that game with the president where they'll say, okay, we'll tell you, yeah, we have UFOs, this sort of stuff. Or if you listen to Barack Obama, Barack Obama gives sort of the, the classic line. Yes, we know UFOs exist, but we don't know what they are. And the more I look at it now, the more I think that that may be the actual truth, that they really don't understand as much as people think they they understand. So you have these guys that will come in and give briefings, and, and there's a, a good example of how this works. When Bill Clinton was in office, Lawrence Rockefeller decided he was going to go to the president, and he was going to get UFO disclosure, and he was a big billionaire, and he was putting money into the Democratic Party, and Bill Clinton was in, and he said, whoever gets in, whether it's uh, George Bush or Clinton or whether it's Ross Perot, I'm going to the, the White House. He told Bud Hopkins, this. Bud Hopkins told me, sorry, he said, I'm going to the White House, and I'm going to get disclosure. And Bud says, well, you know, I don't think that's really how it works. He said, I don't care. That's how I'm going to do. I'm going to the White House. I'm going to get disclosure. So he goes to the White House, and of course, they hear he's coming, and they they know he wants to talk about UFOs. And so what are they going to do? So the idea is that Bill Clinton called it. The the UFO subject is what he called the tar baby story. This is something you don't want to touch. You want to stay away from it because you get stuck to it, and you can't get rid of it. And that's what he told Rockefeller, apparently, at the ranch. He said, you don't want to get stuck to this story. So they, they don't want to let him near the president because they know the Rockefeller story is going to go public. People are going to find out this is happening, and you don't want the president talking about UFOs. So what they do is they use the science advisor to cut him off at the pass. So he's talking to the science advisor and they say, well, the science advisor will advise, you know, and then we'll go to, you know, if we have to go farther, we'll move it up the chain. So he goes in there and the science advisor is Jack Gibbons. And Jack Gibbons hasn't got a clue, as he claims, doesn't have a clue what's going on with UFOs. So, of course, he says, I need a briefing. I need a UFO briefing because Rockefeller's coming here. And I need to, what does the government know? What do we know? What's going on or whatever? So they call for the briefing and it's given to Ron Pandolfi at the CIA. So what Ron does is he realizes, well, I can't give a briefing because that's the CIA. I mean, if I give a briefing and it becomes public, well, then they know we're into UFOs and I'm the guy. And so what he does, he brings in Dr. Bruce Maccabee. And he says to Bruce Maccabee, the night before the briefing, he says, uh, you got 24 hours, you got to produce this briefing for the president of the United States. And he produces this briefing. He gets all the, the attachments to it and the documents and stuff like that. He stays up like for 24 hours. He gets all this document ready. And he goes racing in at 8 o'clock in the morning to present the briefing. And it's already been presented at 8 o'clock in the morning. They presented a different UFO briefing to him. So he actually misses the briefing by an hour. 
And that's how the way they do it. So what, what you do is you give it to Bruce Maccabee, and then it's not a briefing. A briefing is where I come into your office and I say, okay, Sean, here's the paper, sign the papers, this is top secret, these are the final restrictions, whatever, whatever, and you sign for everything, and it's an official briefing. The guy is an official briefer, comes in from the department, knows everything that's be told. So if it's a guy like Bruce Maccabee, he's just a guy on the street. It's not a UFO briefing. They're calling it a UFO briefing, but it's not a briefing. It's just some guy's opinion, and that's how it falls through. So that's how Ron Pandolfi walked around the situation. Now, I just released a document on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it. I put it up. People said, because I released the Wilson Leak document, and then I released the Oak Shannon notes. And then I heard that both had been sort of read into the Congress, that the Congress was interested in both documents. I said, hey, that's pretty cool. Both both my documents are in, in Congress. Maybe I should release another document. Of course, everybody said, hey, what do you got? You know, I said, well, I got one more. <laughs> so I released the document. I put it out, and I didn't say anything. And it didn't really get much reaction. And what the document is, <coughs> is... You remember the New York Times story was December the 16th, 2017. So the very next day, there's a correspondence takes place. And the people that are involved are same guy, Condor, is Robert Collins. Mm -hmm. There's Ron Pandolfi. And then there's Kit Green. So R Robert Collins writes, he says, oh, well, they want us to think that Senator Reid got briefed like Hillary. There's no way they would have briefed him. And then Kit Green writes, in fact, he was briefed. And then Ron Pandolfi on the top writes, he says, well, you got to realize that briefing doesn't come with any information. Often I'm asked by senators and congressmen to give briefings and I tell them, okay, here's the keys. But when you go there, this can cause you an awful lot of trouble if you get in there and you're responsible if you get in there. And he says, most people just say, oh, okay, you could hold the keys. And so he's talking about this thing about the UFO briefing, how he backs off senators and congressmen from requesting these UFO briefings. So I put it up and these are the three sort of the top guys. These are our guys that they're always pretending they're fighting. Like Ron Pandolfi says, help put off some big scam artists and Kit Green scams China paintings where he buys them from China, puts his name on them and sells them and stuff like this. And then you see these guys, they're, they're corresponding together and you're going like, like, what's really going on here? Do these guys know what's going on? Are they fighting? Are they all friends? And you get these little clues that they probably do know something. For example, Ron Pandolfi at one point, this is early on, this is before Tom DeLonge went public. I was dealing with Chris Blatso, and Chris Blatso, of course, as you know, was dealing with and I knew about Jim Semivan. And I did, Chris didn't give me his name, but I knew he was going to one of Chris's birthday parties. So I went and I did some research and I saw him sitting at the table. I said, who's this guy? And I knew he was called the big man. He's the big man from Washington. And I looked and sure enough, the guy's from Washington. I said, oh, it's Jim Semivan. So I went to Ron Pendolfi's. He's a guy that's sort of, uh, I don't know what he's like, his uh, talking buddy that leaks stuff for him. or I don't know. His name is Dan Smith. And so I went to Dan Smith and I said, hey, ask Ron about Jim Semivan. He's this high-level CIA guy, and he's going to go public with you. He's going to do the disclosure thing. And he said, never heard of him. I said, oh, come on. You got You said you're the CIA guy. Ron's your friend. Ron's been CIA for 30 years. And, and he said, no, I've never heard of him. And I said, well, ask Ron about him. He said, well, I don't ask Ron anything. I just I sit there and I listen. My radar is up. And if Ron says something, I pick it up or I don't pick it up. I don't ask him questions. So the next day, they're doing this on Open Minds Forum. I don't know if you've ever been there. But they used to put this stuff on Open Minds Forum. And it was like bird chatter. They're all doing rhymes and riddles. And they're giving messages to each other and stuff like this. And you got to know who all the players are. And nobody would know what's going on unless you really know what's going on. So he, I go to Open Minds Forum. And here he's saying, Oh, Grant told me about this Jim Semivan guy. And I go, whoa, my God, I just blew this thing wide open. Jim Semivan's now exposed. This is 2016. And I'm going, oh, shoot. And then I, I go back there later in the day or the next day, and suddenly it's all blacked out. And it said, Ron told me to take this down immediately and quit posting crazy stuff from loons or something. Because Ron always has the expression, crooks, loons, and worse. So he always calls me a loon. He says, quit posting stuff from this loon. And he actually takes us down. So I go to Dan Smith. I said, so why did Ron tell you to take it down? If they said he didn't exist, he said, well, he doesn't exist. And I said, so why is he telling you to take it down? And he said, well, he doesn't know who he is. I said, come on, he doesn't know who he is. He's a high-level CIA guy. Ron's a high level. You were close to target, that's why. Yeah, it was the thing. I'm, I'm saying, well, why would he deny yeah. that Jim Semivan doesn't exist? And then I talked to one of his assistants, a guy that was helping Ron, and his name was Kevin Albert. And then I'm talking to Kevin. He says, well, yeah, he actually, he does exist, but his name is not Jim Semivan. I said, come on, it's Jim's name. Go look on his Facebook page. All his relatives, all the semi-vans are there. He said, no, no, it's not his name. And then, but maybe <laughs> six months later, then finally they admit, oh yeah. In fact, in fact when the, the event happened, when Tom DeLong went public, I told Dan Smith, I said, oh, they're going public this afternoon. Come on, get on, let's get on and watch the thing live. And then ask Ron what's going on. 
And then, then that afternoon when they went in the morning, they went live. And in the afternoon, Ron says, oh, I know all those guys. It's a big techno scam. They're all scamming for money. And I know every single one of the guys. And it's like, and now he suddenly knows everybody. So this is the whole deal. They're playing this game. And so what I think is that the president is given plausible deniability, but he is basically told, especially if he's interested, like Barack Obama is very interested. And you may know that Barack Obama, for example, there's a new thing coming out on Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah, and it's, it's being produced yeah. by... Barack Obama and his wife. Yeah. So you, you see that he was he was very interested. So they always say that if a president doesn't ask, then they may not tell you. But if the, the president asks, they will move mountains to get what the president wants because the president is in charge. Like people say, well, they're, they're just going to say you don't have a need to know. And it's like, no, you're, you're fired. It's like, put your resignation on my desk and get the hell out of here. I mean, the, the president is the commander of chief of the military. He's the head of all, all the government. He's the head of all the intelligence branches. He's at the top of every chain. You, you're insubordinate. If you tell the president, he, you're not going to tell him. You may say to him, I can tell you, but you would rather not know because you got plausible liability. Well, or there's, there's, there's other things they do, though, as well. So what, what, they'll, what they'll sometimes do is they'll, especially with a Congress and a FOIA request, is they'll be, it's like an iceberg. They'll give them yeah. the absolute bare minimum, yeah. and then they'll keep, the really salacious stuff private, because I think the view of the national security apparatus in general is these guys are just <clears throat> temporary office holders, politicians. Unless we, the guy finds out, because then if he finds out, I mean, you're gone. I mean, if because that's, that's this whole thing yeah. about the, the fact that the president, like Jimmy Carter, people should think Jimmy Carter was a really nice guy. I talked to a public affairs woman who was running the public affairs for the Carter library. When I was there, she thought he was the most horrible guy that ever lived. He was like, because you know, he, he was against smoking, he was against drinking, and they, they would be hiding in a bar across the, from the White House uh, on lunch break and smoking and whatever. And she said, we're always afraid we're going to get caught and get fired and stuff like that. And that he would do these things where he would, the Secret Service would talk about, you know, he would carry his bags in public. To, it's like he was the president, the people's president. And as soon as he got off camera, he'd drop the bags and he'd go. And if you missed the plane, he would just take off without you and had to find your own way to wherever you were going and stuff like that. He was a very A-type personality, which all of them are. They're very hard line. So when you hear this story about, for example, George Bush telling Jimmy Carter he didn't have a need to know, I say, I keep telling Danny Sheehan, I mean, I, I, the story is not the way Danny puts it out because Danny said that he was the CIA director for Carter. He was never the CIA director for Carter. He wanted to be the CIA director. He was the CIA director under Ford. And usually what happens mm -hmm. is the CIA director continues over to the next administration. But it was Jimmy Carter's wife, Roslyn, who said that that's the last guy we're ever going to hire. He will never be the CIA director. And so she basically said he, he, he was gone. So he got fired. And Jimmy Carter even made a joke about it. He said, if I hadn't fired the guy, he never would have become the president of the United States. And so what happens is when the new president comes in, so they give the intelligence briefing. So they'll get briefings because most people don't realize that, that Jimmy Carter was the governor of, of uh, Georgia. Reagan mm -hmm. was the governor of California. Like, what do they know about national security? They know nothing about anything. Nothing. So you got to bring them in and you got to bring up to speed on the economy and where our spies are and all this kind of stuff. And so during the intelligence briefing, that's apparently the rumor was that Carter asked about the UFO sightings. But he didn't ask, I maintain that he didn't ask about the top secret stuff because he knew that he, he could get that kind of stuff. He could just demand it once he got in there. What he was asking for, he had made the promise in the 76 election. He said, if I become president, except for the military stuff, I will give everything that's on UFOs except for stuff that has to do with the military. And so that's what he was asking for. He was asking for the stuff from the people. And the proof of that is that George Bush said, curiosity is not sufficient need to know. If you want those <laughs> files. So he didn't say you can't have those files. He said, if you want those files, you have to get them from the House Science and Technology Committee. Well, the Roswell files are not going to be at the House Science and Technology Committee. That's a pretty low thing. On, so what he's looking for is the files, the, the citing files and stuff like that, that he wanted to release. And when he gets in, same as, as when, when Clinton was in, Clinton was playing the game. Oh, I really didn't know what was going on. I'm probably not the first bureaucrat they walked around. I'm kind of embarrassed to say, and I actually got the Roswell files and I determined that no, a UFO did not crash at Roswell, New Mexico. And it's like, well, hang on. You can't have it both ways. You can't say I didn't have anything. And then I, I called the Roswell files and I read them and, and there wasn't a UFO. You can't have it both ways. Either you had the files or you didn't have the files. So they played these sort of games. A lot of people... They keep claiming that they don't know, but then you, you hear them, uh, Kimmel has done more than anybody to expose this whole thing where, where he goes to, for example, Bush, George W., and he says to him, he says, uh, you know, when uh, if I was the president, you know, I, my hand would still be hot on the Bible and I'd be running to the, to the White House, get the answers. Did you go and look? And then Bush says, well, that's the same question my daughters asked me. And he said, well, what did you tell your daughters? Nothing. 
So that you're not going to tell me nothing. I'm not telling you nothing, which indicates he knows. I mean, he, he did know. Yeah. Yeah. And even his vice president actually did an interview. Quayle actually did an interview. And we, he said, we spent a lot of time working on this and we, we couldn't get anything on it. So you, you get this idea that the, the president, if he wants to, to get the material, the thing I've changed over the years is this whole thing when it gets into the consciousness thing that I think that they know a lot less than people think they know. In fact, I, I referenced the the fact in the, the Wilson leak document, at the very end of the Wilson leak document, there's two things that people say, oh, there was disinformation, they were throwing them off or whatever. And when I read them both, I went, oh, this makes sense to me. One was the abduction no abductions. Thing? What's yeah. that? There's uh, no abductions. That's the exact same thing. thing. Yeah. There, there's an event, but it's not what you think it is. It's this whole idea. When I, I I did a book on people who fly the craft, and they all say the same thing. It's out of body. You're in a different state. They pulled you out of your body, and you're on there, and it's all consciousness. And you, the consciousness flies the craft. You become one with the craft. Wherever you want to go, you can instantly go anywhere you want in the galaxy and stuff like that. So this is where I, I think that the consciousness thing the, the abduction is different. And then the other thing they said in that document is they said, we have a craft and we think it'll fly. So what does that mean? That means they have a craft and they, and they can't fly it. it. And they can't right. fly it because it needs a consciousness interface. The same as you have a thumbprint on your cell phone, you need some consciousness interface. They can't turn the craft on. And I've heard Don Schmidt, he heard it from somebody that they could, they, they haven't got the start button. They can't turn it on because it's done with consciousness. You have to put your hand on a panel and, and you become one with the craft. And, and unless you can do that, and so that's the whole idea. When I read that and said, we've got a craft and we think it'll fly, because there's always been this story, even back in the John Lear days, that they had a craft that was given to them intact, that was actually given to them, and that they, they couldn't do anything with it. Or if you hear the, what's called the core story, Jacques Vallée, Hal Putoff, and Kit Green all get together in the 1980s. And there's so much material flying around the UFO community, and they say, well, what do we know? I mean, what, what do you believe? And stuff like that. So they sat down, these three experts, and they said, what do we know for sure? And what they came up with was called the core story. We are being interacted by some sort of intelligence. Number two, we've got hardware. And number three, we're not doing very well back engineering the material. And that's his story. Even Eric Davis says they took it off the shelf in 1989 and they can't figure it out. They, they put it on the shelf in 1980. Every seven or eight years, they put it down. They try to figure it out. And it's because it has this consciousness interface. And uh, even Tom DeLong talks about that when he's in the skiff at Lockheed Skunk Works. He's talking to the head scientist and the head scientist says, well, I just, you know, well, how does it work? And he'd been hanging around with Stephen Greer at the time. So that's when he said, oh, I think consciousness is involved. And then the head scientist said, mm. now you're talking. And he said, that's all the head scientists wanted to talk about for 45 minutes was consciousness. So they may understand this thing because the Canadians knew this early on. I, I referenced the fact that in 1950, the Canadians wrote a top secret memo in which they talked about what the Americans had told them. And there was American officials. So it wasn't people on the street. American officials told us flying saucers exist. It's the most highly classified subject in the United States. It's tremendous significance to the Americans. And they got a small group headed by Dr. Vannevar Bush to try to figure out the modus operandi. And we were also told by American officials that other things might be associated with the flying saucers, such as mental phenomena. And the key to that is, how did the Americans know in 1950 that mental phenomena was involved? Now we know aliens are telepathic. Now we know this. But the Adamski, the first guy to talk to the aliens, didn't appear till the detonation of the hydrogen bomb in November of 1952. So in 1950, how did they know that, that, that there was this telepathy thing? There was this mental phenomena. And the, I think what it may be is that there may have been a live Roswell alien. Right. And the alien was talking in their heads and they realized and that's why they did NK Ultra. It wasn't to so much the brainwashing. Yeah, that was part of it. And to study LSD, it was to figure out how consciousness works. They realized that if you could get into someone's head, we could go into Putin's head, tell him he's talking to God and give him all sorts of instructions and stuff like that. And that's why you see, for example, the Skinwalker Ranch thing. You hear Jacques Vallée talk about it and he said, Hey, come on, UFOs. I mean, that was the only thing we didn't have at Skinwalker Ranch was UFOs. We had everything else except, and that's why when they went there, the guy that went there, this Dr. Mikotsky, so he goes there and, and this object appears that only he can see. It's almost like it's saying, welcome, Dr. Lukatsky. We thought you'd never show up, you know, welcome. And, and they're trying to figure out not are UFOs existing? What they're trying to figure out is how do you mutilate cattle? How do you put four bulls inside a locked trailer? How do you make stuff disappear, reappear? The woman brings her groceries and puts them on the counter, takes them out, puts them in the shelves, and then goes to the next room, comes back in, and all the groceries are back in the bag. That's what they're trying to figure out. How do you do this weird stuff? Because if we can do this kind of stuff, they even had, I released a document on manifestations and apportations where they, the government's been working on this kind of stuff. How do you make stuff disappear, go through walls and stuff like that? And there's a 1974 DIA document that actually says 
if we could uh, perfect this apportation thing, we could actually go to the enemy. We could go into the vault, get the documents, bring them back to America, photocopy the documents, put them back in the vault, and nobody would even know we were there. And that's this whole deal. That's why they were at Skinwalker Ranch. They weren't there to do UFO stuff. They were trying to figure out how does this, how does this mental stuff work? How does this all this weird stuff work? And because it's got all these military applications that you can use. So that's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that I think that they may not really fully understand. They understand, yes, UFOs exist. That's what they've been saying all along. It's not a threat to national security. If they wanted to eat us, they would have eaten us a long time ago. And the fact that now they've changed it to this national security thing. But I, I again, it's like when Ron Pendolfi calls it, he says this is a techno scam. He said they they ran through a bunch of billionaires. They went after the church's chicken guy. They took his money. And then they went after Bombardier. And then they ran out of billionaires who would rather get into crazy free energy things than pay their taxes. And now they're going after Congress for money. And that was the whole idea. So unless you put into your congressional thing that it's a threat, you're not going to get any money. Because Leslie Kane mm-hmm. actually wrote a book before that. And John Podesta was part of that book. He wrote the forward to the book. So she was dealing with the government and John Podesta and what the government knew. And in there, she doesn't say it was a threat. She said it was. It may be a threat to airline traffic. It may be interfering with airline traffic. So it wasn't until they brought this up. And the idea was, unless you say it's a threat, nobody in Congress, because it's not in anybody's business. It's, it's, it's not our job. It's not our job. But if you say it's a threat, and that's why they didn't go to the Science and Technology Committee. That's why they didn't go to the Outer Space Committee. That's why they went to armed services and to the intelligence, because that's the weapon stuff. That's what they're, they're selling the weapon thing and trying to get money. And that's why they're pushing this threat narrative. And I, I even told the story that I had some of these high-level guys that were in the, the U.S. program. I, I won't say, I've said a few times, but I won't say who they were, but they're the main characters. And the Canadians were going to go public with UFOs. We had up to 10 MPs, members of parliament, who had decided that they wanted to go public. And what they had done is, is two of them had had a conversation with Lou Elizondo. And so I went to the member of parliament to his aide, and I said, hey, let's do this again, except instead of you guys doing it in private, why don't we do this? I'll get four experts from the United States, the top guys. We'll put them on a panel, and then you bring in all the MPs that want to talk about this, and they can ask these guys questions. We'll put it on YouTube, and we'll put it all over the place. Anybody can broadcast it, and we'll open this thing up. And what they said is that says that's what we're trying to do. That's what we want to do. And what they had, the Canadians wanted to do a scientific investigation. So what the Canadians had set up is they had the prime minister who runs the whole show, and then they have a a science advisor to the prime minister. So this woman knew about this UFO thing. She said, I'd like to to put in a request to do a, a UFO investigation, scientific investigation. And she thought this would be a great idea to run this panel because it would run cover. You run this panel and it'd be all over the place and all these MPs. And we found out that at the end, there was up to 10 MPs that were being briefed in the background by this one MP. He was telling them what was going on, who's Lou Elizondo, who's Melan, who's Abby Loeb, all this stuff and, and how that, you know, giving them all this background stuff. So up to 10 of these guys were going to come on this panel and they're just going to ask questions. And then we got into the thing and they said, well, you got to bring in these military guys and, and it's interfering with air superiority and all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, we don't have those kind of stories. We, we don't have the military and, and our committees can't spend money. So I said, it doesn't, it's not really going to help. We don't have any military witnesses. And they said, well, that's what you need. And that's what we're advising you to do. And we said, well, we don't have any. We want to do a scientific investigation. And they said, well, no, no, this military thing and all this kind of stuff. And we kept pushing. We kept saying, we can't do this. We don't have the witnesses. And number one, they want a scientific investigation. And then one of them said, one of the key guys said, okay, that's it. That's the poison pill. I'm gone. And I went, whoa. And they just pulled out. And it was basically, we're not going to tell you what to do, but unless you do what we're telling you to do, we're not going to do anything. So when they heard that this is definite, the Canadians were not going to do the threat thing. They wanted to do a scientific investigation of UFOs. They said, that's it. We're gone. We're out of here. And they left. And and that was the, the whole thing fell apart. So whether the Canadians get this scientific study done or, or the prime minister's science advisor to come forward and say, but the Canadians don't want anything to do with the threat thing. They just want a, an investigation of the the evidence and be able to bring people in front of committees, sign them to, uh, you know, under oath and stuff like that. But we we were within a couple of days and this thing pulled out and they basically uh, said, you're going to make a big spectacle of the thing. And I said, damn right. So I was going to make a big spectacle. What do you think I was going to do? Yeah, <laughs> of course, right. we're going to broadcast it to everybody that would listen. And it would be this big story. 10 MPs to put their hand up. The Canadians are disclosing. They're going to go public and they're going to do a scientific investigation. And, and that was it. They just said, nope, we're not going to do the panel. So they said, count us out. We're not going to do your panel. And we're not going to the one thing they said, we're not going to ask questions 
that that people can look up on Google. And I said, so if you get a, an MP who asks a stupid question, what are you going to tell me? Stupid? I mean, that's the idea of the panel is to answer stupid questions that people who don't know to bring them up to speed. That was the whole point. And they said, no, we're not going to answer questions that people can put on Google. And, you know, this, this whole thing, we're going to make a spectacle out of it. And the main thing was this thing. Once they heard it was definitely going to be a scientific investigation. That's all we wanted to do. They said, that's the poison pill. I'm gone. And boom, it was all over. Why didn't they want a scientific investigation? Well, because they're they're doing this thing of getting money for the military. Because what I'm saying mm-hmm. is you got to be aware of, of this initiative that's going on in Congress. It's worse than Blue Book. If you got Blue Book, you had Blue Book, they they signed mm-hmm. off and said, we got these 12,000 reports and here's the reports and we're going to make them all public and whatever. And when they asked these guys, they said the first one was what, 130, 130. 34 cases or whatever, and one they had identified. And then someone said, well, what's the shapes? They said, we can't tell you, it's classified. And well, what are their reports? Sorry, we can't tell you, it's classified. And so what have you got? You got like 131 reports or whatever it was. And then the second one is 360 reports. And you don't have any shapes. You don't have any identification. It's all going into the black world. So what they're doing is they're coming into the white world and they're inviting the scientists to work on this because they can't figure it out because it's all stovepipe. So if you've got a piece of the craft, I got a piece of the craft. You don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what you're doing. Then they can get this thing out outside the stovepipe and all people and all that stuff's going to get sucked into the black hole and they're going to get the money. So they say it's a threat. They're going to eat you. They're interfering with us. Even Jacques Vallée made the joke. He said, come on, Nimitz was a sighting 20 years ago. It's time to get over it. I mean, come on. It's like, what kind of a threat was that? It, it flew around. Everybody was joking with the pilots and, and it flew off. And that was the end of the story. And we make it, you know, it's interfering with our airspace. It's not even your airspace. I mean, the aliens were here first. It's their airspace. And, but it's that idea if their threat, then the, the, the government gets, you scare the living daylights out of these congressmen and senators. Then they go, how much money do you want? How, how many billion do you want? And you walk off of the money, but it all gets sucked back into the black world again. What portion of some of this narrative do you think is strategic deception, i.e. an elaborate deception run by an intelligence organization to convince our adversaries, our being the United States, that we are in possession of advanced materials that they are not? I'm not saying it's... It's, no, it's I, I think I think everybody everybody knows that everybody's got it. What it is, it's a it's a game of poker. You're not going to put your mm-hmm. hand on the table because you say, okay, we're going to release what we've got. We're going to put our cards on the table and the Russians are going to put their cards on the table. You put your cards yeah. on the table and the Russians say, oh, you just gave us the 20% we don't have. We're not putting our cards on the table. And that's over. Then everybody knows whoever controls this technology. So it's like we asked Dr. Eric Walker. We wrote a book years ago, and it's now called UFOs, Area 51, and Government Informants. But we dealt with this Dr. Eric Walker, who was uh, former president of Penn State University, chairman of the board of the Institute for Defense Analysis, top military think tank. And we were talking to him. He was an older guy. And, and I had a bunch of people that were interviewing him and trying to get him to talk and stuff. And I was sort of coordinating all this stuff. And they were talking to him. And at one point, he said, admit it. You're just curious. Admit it. That's all you want. You're just curious as to what's going on. Why should we change the rules to satisfy your curiosity? Right. And, right. and it's the, the curiosity is not sufficient need to know. So it's the idea is we've got the material. We don't give a damn what you think. We don't, we don't care what the public thinks. We are not going to give this stuff up. It's national security. That's why you see the thing where I say it's worse than Blue Book. You've got nothing. All you've got is a number of reports and how many they solved. You've got nothing beyond that. It's worse than Blue Book. And so the stuff is going in there and there's no way. So they're playing the game now where they're fighting back and saying, try to get it from us. Try to move this stuff out of us. We're not going to give it. And even if you can get the eight leading senators and congressmen to be briefed on this, it's still going to be classified. They're going to walk into a briefing and they're going to say, this is brief, this is top secret material. And those guys got to keep quiet. Everything is going to be, and that's why you play, if you play the game of threat, of the narrative, you're always going to be in a position where you are admitting that it's, it's national security and it's top secret and they're not going to be classified. If it's a scientific investigation, then you don't have that top secret stuff. You can just say what it is. But it's, as long as you say, you admit and say, OK, I agree, it's national. And then you're hoping that somehow they're going to have some committee and everybody's going to come out and, and spill the secrets, all the top secrets. They're not going to spill the secrets. If it's national security, it's national security. Nobody's ever going to find out what it is. It's just there's more money has been sucked out and into the black world. And plus, you've got all the intelligence of everybody's trying to contribute stuff and put papers in, and they're just gathering all this stuff. And if you suddenly get something, you suddenly get some anti-gravity thing, they walk in and say, Sean, this is national security. Pack it up. You're out of business. We own this now. And they can do that. Yeah. And, and that's the yeah. whole deal. That's that's and the way they, they have. work. They, they have and the they material. Have. And that's what Walker said. We don't care. We are not going to change the rules. There are, And that's what I heard. When he said, we're not changing the rules to satisfy your curiosity, I said, hey, there's actual rules. And it's the old idea that they actually believe they're saving the world. They actually believe they're following the rules. Almost like when Wilson tried to get that stuff, they told him, 
back off with the, the, the lawyers hung up and said, sir, you don't have a need to know and slammed the phone down on him. I mean, on a, on a, like a three-star general. And they said, if you keep pushing this, you're going to lose two stars and you will not be the head of the defense intelligence agency. And what's he going to do? He just throws up his hands and says, okay, and he's pissed off and he's mad, but he, he's got to keep quiet because it's yeah, the whole and, deal. And at the time he was number two at the defense yeah. intelligence agency, which is the defense department's version of the CIA. And, the and, other thing and you that can't they really do, leak anything because it's the situation is they all take these. He was worried. Wilson was worried because he's taking this job in, in Minnesota and he had to take a lie detector test. So they're going to say, have you ever disclosed classified information? And then you fail the lie detector test and then you're in real trouble. And that's what they're always worried about is these lie detector tests that they screen these guys. So it's not like some guy's going to come out and, and release everything. And they don't care. You can have all the rumors you want about you heard this craft is here and this is what they don't care. All the rumors just keep keep it going. In fact, the more rumors, the better, because then nobody knows. They, they can actually play you against me. They'll come and say, I'm a source. Keep me unidentified. And, and they tell mm -hmm. you a story and then they come tell me a story. But it's a little bit different. And then you and I are fighting about who's lying. You, your guy's lying. My guy's lying. And we're both using the same source. And they, so that's what they do is they put in all this material or you get things where they were the covering up like the one i was just doing today i'm doing a speech where i'm talking about benowitz and there's this whole thing about paul benowitz in the 1979 he comes forward and he says i've seen these ufos and at kirkland air force base and then they they go and everybody says oh they did this terrible stuff to him they changed his furniture and stuff well if you understand what he was actually saying you realize why they spend so much time trying to subvert this guy and make him into a crazy guy is the fact that he said I'm seeing UFOs over the Monsanto weapon storage area, the biggest repository yeah. of nuclear weapons in the world. And they didn't want that out, that there was UFOs over the nuclear weapon storage area. And that's the whole deal. All the UFO reports you hear over missile silos, you hear it all the time. But have you ever heard any papers? You ever seen any documents? No, that is like the top secret of top secrets. They're never going to. And that's the same thing with all this material. They're just not going to put the material on the table. The more they put whatever you tell your friends, you tell your enemies. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. And the other thing they'll do with Congress is when they disclose them on these secret programs and they bring them in the room, there will be information that is publicly available in those secret briefings. And yeah. that will prevent them from even discussing stuff that is open source available intelligence because it's been classified. Yeah. And and that's the thing that makes me really careful about claims that people make because you have to put it through that lens. Are they trying to tell you something that will destroy your credibility. So you just have to be very careful about what comes in and you, you have to assume that some of it's going to be real, but other parts of it yeah. are going to be a fabrication in order to put mis misinformation or disinformation. Yeah. The, the way I've always done it is I, I will not keep a secret source. I just say, you know, if you, if you tell me, I'm telling everybody because that's the way they, once they got you sworn to secrecy, they own you. Then they can tell you whatever mm -hmm. they want. Oh, I'm going to give you some more stuff. And Bill Moore actually was told that in 1980 because he was contacted and basically said, we're going to give you some material that's true and material that's not true and it's up to you to sort it. And Bill Moore had a big ego and he said, oh, I can do that. Yeah, I can figure it out. <laughs> and in the end, they they end up burning them. But that that's the whole deal is that if you don't keep secret sources, if you put it out, and I get in a lot of trouble for that. I mean, you know, with the Wilson, I had the problem with what I was going to do with the Wilson leak document. And then Oak Shannon came after me after he heard I had the notes and stuff like that. And then they wanted me to go on somebody's podcast I had to break it on somebody's podcast. I said, yeah, lost. I kept the stuff for 20 years. You went public. Now I'm going public. I mean, I'm not going to keep this stuff. I had made an agreement and I, I, I even have a, a living will that I have with a lawyer where if I die tomorrow, everything gets released. Because everybody's going to, you know, because the situation, like I went to Stanton Friedman's files, he's got piles of files, but I have to go there and you sit there, you know, you can spend months there photocopying and looking at all this stuff. Whereas I, I say everybody in their UFO documents is going to have some stuff that they never released to anybody, real hardcore, interesting stuff. And so I put it all in one file and I gave it to a lawyer and said, if I die, you put it on the internet tomorrow. And then so I'm thinking that, man, that'd be kind of cool. You know, if you know you're going to die tomorrow, you go, Man, I'd sure like to stay around for one more day so I can see what's gonna, what's going to happen. And, and well, that's it's also a life insurance policy, right? <laughs> yeah, and but that's the thing. And so uh, you know, I I'm pretty public about what I say because I I always feel figure that that's the problem is, is when you start keeping secret sources. I even made the joke one time. You know, if all the UFO people were to release all the stuff they had, we'd solve the problem. It's just everybody's got all these stories and and all these sources. And the way it works, I can understand. Like if you're in the business, I'm not in the business, but if you're in the business, there was the one story told where I think it was Dolan talked to one guy, high level guy. And he said, could you name the 12 guys who are running the program? And the guy said, yeah, I could probably do that. And he said, well, why did you do it? And he said, because you go to New York Times, they'd run an article, I'd have to deny it. And then nobody would ever talk to me again.
And that's how they're working. Mm-hmm. So it's working at everybody's at a different level. They have these Avery guys. So they had, were in the program, like Kit Green. The story was Kit Green was, he was read into parts of the UFO program, but he was, he was a physiologist and he was never read into the alien autopsy. And he wanted, because I released this alien autopsy document and everybody just, no, 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 no. Kit Green was a big part of this alien. He wanted to be read into the alien autopsy. I knew that. And he couldn't get read in. And he had these things where he'd go to the Pentagon and then say, no, we're not going to, you know, he'd get almost to the door and they'd say, no, we're not reading you in. And he was frustrated. He couldn't get read in on the alien autopsy. And so that's the deal. So they, everybody would have a little piece of the story and then they'd hear, oh, this guy's got a part of the story. And then they would talk to each other. Where were you working? And, and they, that's when like John Alexander, where they all gathered together, these 20 guys with the group in the 1980s, 20 guys all trying to figure out what, what did they tell you? What do you know? And all these high level security guys trying to put the pieces together. So everybody's trying to do that. But if you get caught leaking stuff, and you, like me, I got the big mouth. So then I, I was dealing with a lot of these guys. And then as soon as I released one guy, had talked to two presidents. I, as soon as I released that, it was like, boom. It's like, dry it up. Everybody, nobody would talk to me again. And that was yeah. fine. So, but, you know, but that's the thing is you, you got to keep open. You can't get yourself caught in, in a situation, almost like the, the senators are caught in that situation. If you could go in, you may find out what's going on. You may get the briefing and you may find out what's going on, but what profit of the man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I mean, you, you got, you've got to be able to put it out. It doesn't help me if I figure it out and I can't tell you and I can't tell anybody else. So is there a legitimate reason, like any possible legitimate reason why they wouldn't be revealing this stuff? Or is it just over cautious black projects kind of over classification well, run amok? Well, because it's technology. That's all they're interested in is the technology. They're interested in, can you get in someone's head? Can you figure out how to do this kind of stuff? And if you've ever heard the tape, I just had an interview with Kay Randall May. Kay Randall May was being used by Kit Green. And Kit Green was contacting her. And she they does this thing where she's a medical intuitive. And Kit Green says she was 95 to 100% accurate. But he's talking to her about UFO stuff. Who are we dealing with? And she's talking about a portal off the coast of California and stuff like this. And she's this high-level person. So they could hire her for $175 an hour, bring her in, put her under hypnosis, put her even deeper, and then ask her all these questions about stuff. So that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to figure out this, put all the pieces together. Because if you're in the military, everything's a threat. So you figure, oh, it's, it's five days till the Russians figured out the Chinese are on the border they're figuring it out we've got to figure this thing out and we haven't figured it out it's just about weapons that's all it's about and the way they work it and they'll use the example they'll use is they'll say well when we figure it out then if we we get the second generation then we'll put it into the public and that's what they did with GPS they keep bragging about GPS we had GPS for years and years and years and we used it and then once we got the second generation and we heard it was starting to leak then we put it on the market and we made it public for the people so that's what they do is and that's what happened in World War II you got to see how this developed so during World War II, there was no real development agencies before. And what happened during World War II is they had what was called dollar year men. So during World War II, they would bring in, instead of sending, a, say, a, a top scientist, a physicist to Europe with a gun on his back, what they would do is they'd hire him for a dollar a year. And these guys, most professors don't work from April through to September. So what they would do is they would hire these guys and they would, that's where the Jasons came from. So they'd bring these guys, these top physicists, and they would give them a, a nuclear problem and they would have a, a a thing where they go to a, a resort or something during the summer and all these physicists would work on these problems. They would give them all these different problems. DARPA would give them problems and stuff. And they were using these dollar a year men that they, they were doing these inventions. And during the World War II, they invented 200 different things like plastic explosives, synthetic rubber, nylon, pla- engines, proximity fuses. There was 200 inventions. And then once it got to the end of the war, they said, hey, this actually works pretty good. Let's keep using these scientists. Let's keep mm-hmm. using this process. And then they developed this whole idea that they, they would have these institutes where they hired all these scientists and they would work on national labs and stuff like that. That's how it all developed because they had so much success during World War II with the technology. So what they do is they, they, they all the money, almost all the finance money from the U.S. government goes in, into the military, goes in, into research money. And unless you have something the, the government wants, they're not going to give you research money. So they can control that. And the research money is being developed, all, all these different things that they're developing. And then it spins off into the public. And one of the things you even hear Lou Elizondo talking about is this whole idea. You've heard, you may probably heard this rumor about, and I, I heard this years ago from the Avery guys, was the idea that that had gone private in the 1970s. That in, right. and once it closed Blue Book, they moved it into the private industry where yeah, so you don't have the FOIAs and all this kind of stuff. Right. And these that's their job. The government most people don't realize half the government is contracted out 
Government doesn't want to run anything. The, the military is all contract. The food services all contract. Everything's contracted out because it's easier to, to run the thing. You run the government and you run building weapons or whatever you do. And one of the problems that Lou hinted at one time, and there, this was brought up just recently, was that there was $300 million given to Lockheed in 1973 or something to stop the, co the company from folding. And the idea was, did they give them the UFO problem with this $300 million? So Lou hinted at there may be a problem with you gave the technology to this company and then suddenly Boeing sues and says, you gave them all that technology. You didn't give us anything. Yeah, and you have like multiple lawsuits. And these are yeah. the kind of problems they're looking at in the background. So the, the best way to work it is it's worked so far. We're developing this technology. We're back engineering this stuff or whatever they think they're doing. Just keep it this way. Why would we change the rules? That's what Walker said. Why would you going to change the rules? This thing is working. We don't care your curiosity. We don't care if you're curious. We don't care if you want to know. You want to know how to build an atomic bomber? I can tell you that either. We're just we're just going to work on this stuff because we're not we're not figuring it out or we're not figuring it out fast enough or whatever. Or we need some more technology, or whatever. And that's what they control it, and they are going to continue to control it until someone pries it out of their dead hands. Yeah, I don't think disclosure is ever coming. I think the only no. way disclosure is coming is if the phenomena decides to reveal itself or individual citizens try yeah. to work with what they have. And, and even private citizens. You've seen a lot of guys go public. The head scientist for Lockheed went public talking about with the photos of the aliens and stuff like that and said a bunch of rave stuff. But then they just say, oh, the guy lost it in his last years or whatever. Unless you've got the documents, you can be whoever you want to come forward. And it, you still need the documents. You still need the proof. You're just another citizen who may be making up stuff. And that, that's always the problem is that they control all the cards and they just are not going to put the cards down. There's, there's, they, then why would they? I mean, if, if I was them, I would do the exactly the same thing they're doing is that they just figure that's their role there that's what they're paid to do they're protect they're they're they save you against the big bad russians and the chinese and we're saving the world and that's what we're going to do and that's what we're military guys and we're here to protect america from enemies out and within and all this kind of stuff and you know you hear all these things and so that's what you do if you're if you're a military guy you're going to be very paranoid you're not going to trust anybody and you're going to keep everything secret and and, and even the stuff they they talked about the secrecy was is costing so much money that people would you know they'd go out for lunch or something and they'd mark it secret or top secret or whatever and this would have to go through the declassification thing where where they would just it's easier just to classify stuff than to go through the whole thing of, of allowing it to, to leak out that everything they just over classify stuff yeah i don't think there's any incentive the the one thing though that i i think still is in the back of my mind is that there's something about the phenomena that if they were to reveal it you know, outside of technology it might be disturbing enough to cause some sort of a panic or something but i don't know what that is and i don't want to kind of yeah. make up theories and, and i always have the problem with the idea that the uh, intelligence is ever going to land at some point and decide that we're going to integrate i mean we have enough problems with mexicans i mean people dealing with mexicans i mean can you imagine a world where Americans are going to allow greys, reptilians, and mantids to walk around the streets of America and use their free energy technology to start businesses and compete against American business? I mean, absolutely not. There's 400 million guns in the United States. I mean, there'd be like guns going off all over the place. I mean, there, there's no way they're going to present themselves because they know you cannot take over a society. So I don't think that integration by the intelligence is, is ever going to work. I think they they realize this is, this is a long process, a couple of generations where we're going to have to, it's the young kids come along and they sort of accept this kind of stuff and i i guess our big thing is that fear creates more fear that's all it does it grabs more fear and what you have is, is a, an accelerating defense budget that gets bigger and bigger and bigger every year we have more threats and if we don't have a threat let's make a threat and uh it's, it's the weapons of mass destruction thing it's like how do you stop it once you once you get the thing going and everybody's got a job and that's where i say like for example you take the f-35 jet fighter so you have this this thing that's supposed to be way queen. overpriced, and it's built yeah. in 46 different states. Why do they build it in 46 different states? Because 46 so and senators wouldn't dare vote against right. it because right. you've got jobs in this in the thing. And that's where yeah. I said that Eisenhower warned. And, and I went to the Eisenhower Library, and there was never anything to read there because there's no UFO documents. So I would read all the oral histories, and I'd read all this stuff, and I'd go, and I'd read these guys, and I'd go, man, these guys are supposed to be bad guys. And you read their stuff, and you go, yeah, I can see why they did this. You know, you yeah. everybody seemed to be yeah. a good guy when you when you read the documents. And what he said, he said, beware 
the military industrial congressional complex. And oh, he said congressional before that? Yeah, <laughs> after. And and they went huh. six different people. It went to like Eisenhower's brother was Milton Eisenhower, who was the president at Penn State before Dr. Walker. And so they asked these six people and they said, What do you think he was really meaning by this statement? And the thing was the congressional they took out because they didn't want to offend Congress. So they took congressional out. So it says be so it became beware the military industrial complex, but it's beware the military industrial congressional complex. Because once you got what's happening now, once you've got Congress in the loop, now you're now, it's like the F 35 jet fighter you cannot shut it down because everybody's got their hand in the pot everybody's taking money out and how do you shut it down the congressmen they're supposed to protect us from overspending and stuff like this but if they're all in the game and they're all taking money they're not going to shut down either and it's a vicious cycle that will never stop did, did you know did you know the same exact thing happened in the drug war so yeah. i interviewed david morehouse who was also one of the original yeah. remote viewers but he also participated in some of these you know, other black projects that were unrelated to remote viewing. And one yeah. of the projects he had was a strategic deception campaign to eliminate the three cartels in Colombia, the Cali cartel, the Medellin cartel, and there's a third one. And he yeah. created this strategic deception and also was working at Los Alamos to develop a pathogen that would take out the psychoactive component of cocaine. Oh. And he had the aircraft that were marked the same as Medellin cartels spraying over Cali. Yeah. So it culminated in Pablo Escobar chainsawing his rival in the Cali cartel for something the guy didn't do wrong. It was a secretive organization that was two layers deep that created the strategic deception campaign. And at its peak, it almost ended the drug war. And then it suddenly, inextricably, was canceled. <laughs> yeah. right? That's the thing. People have to realize that these guys have done this for decades. And they know what they're yeah. doing. They're not stupid guys. I mean, they, they know how, how the game is played. And it's like people think they can go up against the CIA and outsmart them or whatever. I mean, these guys have so many trap doors and they know exactly how it's working. I mean, I've that's why I never really dealt with Ron Pendolfi. I'd deal with people around him. I'd ask people around him about what's he saying and stuff like this and mm -hmm. the portal stuff and all that kind of stuff. But I knew it was totally useless. I remember one guy said, we're having this event. I don't know if you know this. Uh, if you've read Chris Bledsoe's book, he was heavily not finance, but helped by this guy out of Philadelphia. His name was Larry. And Larry contacted me and he said, I'm having this big event. It was called The Gathering. He had all these people have come from John Alexander and all these people from, and what he's basically doing is, is bringing all these people in. He had a lot of money, bring all these people in. And we just walked around like a cocktail party for the whole weekend. It didn't do anything, you know? And then he would pick people's brains and 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 invite people in. And he said, Ron Pandolfi's coming. And I said, oh, he's no, first he said, who do you think I'm bringing? I said, I know who you're bringing. He said, guess, guess, guess. Who's that bringing? I said, I don't know. Hillary Clinton. He said, no, no, Hillary Clinton. I'm bringing around Pedelfi. And he's going to tell you something. I said, he's not going to tell me anything. Yeah, he said, yeah, he's going to tell you. I, I've, I've, I've talked to him. He's going to tell you something. I said, come on. I'm a foreign national. I mean, I'm not even an American. Why right. would he tell me anything that's classified? There's no way he's going to tell me anything. And then, of course, Ron right. didn't show up. eh? But it was it was this kind of idea, you know, that he's going to tell me. So I, I've never talked to him because what's the point? I mean, he's not going to tell yeah. you anything. So you just sit there and carefully listen to everybody around him and you try to put the pieces together. It's almost like you play spy and, you know, it, it, it's worked fairly well in, in terms of finding out what's going on but they're they're so good at what they're doing and they're there's you, you never know who's playing the game and and who these people are you have to know who all the names are and how how they're linked and and what jobs they had and stuff like that and it's like ron it's like i yeah one guy who's really close to him i said is he still at the cia and he said well he goes to work somewhere every day i was at his place he, he goes somewhere and so and then he said don't don't ever tell grant where i work and it's the old idea. It's like he's in some sort of intelligence thing, but there's like 24 intelligence agencies or whatever the rumor is, how many there are. I mean, it can be anywhere. So what's the point of trying to figure out where he is or, or what he's doing or whatever? It's like you just sort of sit there and realize that he's controlling the cards and he's never going to release anything. So he'll talk to people. People will say, well, I'm going to get him to to go on a production or a studio production or something. I say, well, good luck. You know, I mean, he, he knows how the game is played and why would he ever go? And in fact, I got the one. I don't know if you saw the video. I got the one I'm, I was very, very interested in portals. So at the one point he was with his wife and Dan Smith and Kevin Elber, and they were on a cruise ship going through the Panama canal. And they posted all these videos of them on the cruise ship and they're talking and there's all this noise and they can't hear anything. And I went through all these videos. And then at one point they're sitting in the dining room and his wife, Aaliyah says, so footman, she's, she's called the princess and he's the footman. So he takes care of her. She's the princess and it, it all works. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to be the, the greatest husband ever. And <laughs> says, I saw footman. What do you think? And then Ron is sitting, he looks in the camera. He says, you know, people have always wondered what it's like to go into the next world. He said, 
The next time John, and he points to this guy beside him, John Sillison is the guy's name. Ron went to school at the university in California with him. He said, the next time John goes to the desert, a number of us here will go into the next world and come back again. And I went, wow. So I grabbed this off Leah's channel and I, I, I put it out there and it gets to Bruce McAbee, who's a friend of Ron Pendolfi's. And he goes to Ron, he said, Ron, you see Grant's put on this video. He's got you talking on this video about portals. And then he says, that camera's a thief. <laughs> and it's like, well, you put it on the fun. Why would I not yeah. take that down? And it's like, and that's the only time he's ever been on camera, but he, he just doesn't go on camera. And so then there was this whole thing about portals. So I always hung on to portals. I keep saying to people around him, I said, the one guy who's really close to me, I said, Hey, so I, I'm getting tired of all these games that they're playing, you know, and the, the Avery games and, you know, rhymes and riddles and bird code and stuff like that. I said, I, I think I'm going to quit. Do, do you think I should go or do you think there's something to this portal thing? And there's this long pause. He goes, yeah, I think you should probably stick around. I go, okay, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Again, another Morehouse story. I interviewed him on the Chaco Canyon portal. Have you heard about that? No, no. So the remote viewers in the, I think, early 90s were seeing a lot of activity. So they were remote viewing this area. So they decided to take a physical trip there. They went to Chaco Canyon, went to a place called Pueblo Alto. And periodically they would look up at night and they kind of spent the night there. They weren't supposed to because the ranger there wouldn't let them on. So they had to kind of infiltrate the you know, old school military way. But there was a portal in the sky that would open periodically. They didn't see anything come out of it, but... <laughs> on the way there, they actually ran into Jack Valet, and they had some kind of fancy equipment, wow. not at Pueblo Alto, but somewhere, I think, in Al Albuquerque. So, yeah, their government's been kind of uh, working with that stuff. Yeah, I had I had the other strike and tell you, it was pretty funny. I was with Chris Bledsoe and some business guys at a cabin in Pennsylvania, and anyway... Tim Taylor, now his name is public because Chris uses his name, so I can use his name. Tim Taylor was there. Tim Taylor is the Tyler D from American Cosmic, this NASA scientist who's got all these inventions that he gets from the beings. He's an experiencer and stuff like that. And Chris's book tells a lot of re revealing stuff. I actually believe I actually filed an FOA that I've got on the internet today where I file on Tim Taylor with the Barack Obama because he the rumor was that he briefed Obama on UFOs. So, of course, I filed on Tim Taylor. And, of course, there's classified and unclassified files. Now, I just have to wait for them to be released. But anyway, in, he was Canada, this... in Canada, you actually are able to see more than we can see through FOIA requests, the U.S. FOIA requests, correct? Is that right? I don't I don't know. I think we have the same because you can file for the same thing I file. So if you see I'm filing it, I, like when, when the ATIP thing broke, I actually filed my FOA was I want all the FOAs that have been filed on ATIP. Because I wanted to see who was asking questions. Because then you see, what's John Alexander asking about this? You know, and you find out what are the questions that people would give code names and stuff. And you, oh, oh, and, and you give, give these hints. So people, it's 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 public. So and he's, everybody's going to get what I get. I'll get to see it first when it's it's released. But anyway, I was there, and Tim Taylor was there, and I didn't really know he was the powerful guy that he was. And so he's got his cell phone. And he's talking about experiences. I'm asking about his his invention. He got this invention that was put on the space shuttle. He was telling me how hard it was to get on the space shuttle. Everybody thought he was crazy, whatever. And this thing, he ended up, the, the company sold for millions and millions of dollars with this invention. And he he believes that he's been given the job by the beings to uh, for childhood cancer. And he's got 40 patents, and they're all medical patents and stuff like that. And so I, I'm big into downloads and stuff. So he was talking about his download. And I, I said, tell me about your download thing. And he said, I can tell you why, Grant. He said, the, the morning I woke up with that idea in my head, the last thing I remember the night before was a hooded figure standing at the end of the bed. And I said, oh, so could you see its face? He said, no, I couldn't see its face. <laughs> That's the whole story. <laughs> Same with Jim Semivan. I couldn't see the face. So anyway, I was talking about that. And then he, he's got his cell phone. He introduced me to this experiencer who lives near me in Canada. And now she's in Florida. She watches her very closely because she's like a high-level experiencer. So he's got this cell phone. He shows me his cell phone. He says, hey, what do you think of this? He shows me his cell phone. And it's got this painting. And I've, I've got it on Facebook and there's a painting and there's these two guys there flying through space and they look like they've got pajamas on and they're in this painting and they're, they're, one guy looks older than the other guy and they're in these pajamas, they're flying through space. And he says, what do you think of that? You know, I don't know, Tim, I have no idea what that's about. And he says, <laughs> well, he said, and he shows me the next photograph and it's these balls and the balls are all going into the middle of the painting and the balls are getting smaller, like they're going down a tunnel or something. And I go, 
I don't know. And then and he shows me this other painting. I said, I have no idea. And he shows me these paintings on the side, these video things on the side of the wall of the building. And it's these outer space things. He says, wait a minute. I don't know. And then he shows me this 56 Cheval on top of the parkade. And he says, look at the back seat. You can you see the postcard there? And I go, yeah, I can see the postcard. He says, you know what it says? I said, what? He says, I wish I could. It was some guy writing to his girlfriend. I can't remember what the thing was. It's writing to his girlfriend. I wish I could be through, fly through time and space to be with you. And I said, that's what it says. And then he says, yeah. And he says, you know where these paintings are? And I said, no. And he said, they're at Hughes Aircraft building, the old Hughes Aircraft hmm. building. And I said, oh, I still don't know what you're talking about, Tim. And he says, it's site of LAX. I said, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he said, that's what the jumper was. And I went, what? Let me study. <laughs> Let me see those photographs again. And he shows me them again. And then it was about two years later. Like, a lot of this stuff doesn't catch on. Two years later, I'm thinking to myself, why did he show me those photographs? Why he was just trying to get my my opinion? Why he actually went there? He took these photographs. So I said, I'm going to go to Alex. I'm going to I'm going to photograph this. He said, Watch out for the guy, the guard. There's a guard that that watches the door. Make sure you, the guard doesn't see you. So I'm getting there, and then the guys let people in <laughs> photographing these paintings. And then the whole deal was. And then he said, You know where the one with the two guys is? I said, Where? He said, Right outside the elevator. And then I'm thinking, There must be. I thought it was a total joke story. Barack Obama going to Mars and stuff like that. And then I'm thinking. Maybe there's something to this. That's why I always found that all the anti-gravity stuff never went anywhere, but all the portal stuff all ended up being somewhere where it's like, hey, this is actually for real. They actually got this kind of stuff. So this is the thing. Tim Taylor showed me this thing. And I'm thinking, why would Tim Taylor show me these photographs? And it's like, he's just trying to get my reaction to see what I thought about it. And he'd actually been there. So it's kind of interesting. All right. Let's end the episode here and talk about consciousness okay. in the next one. Thank you very much. This was yeah. an absolute pleasure, my friend. Yeah. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.